0: welcome to the edges of lean i'm bella engelbach and in this podcast we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking unusual places where lean thinking is practiced we meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles so come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean Episode 74, Continuous Improvement and Why Tools Are Not Enough with Martina Kuhlmeier. Martina Kuhlmeier has an impeccable lean background, including a Master Black Belt certification from GE. So why is she not focused on lean tools these days? Let's hear her tell the story. Martina Kuhlmeier, welcome to the Edges of Lean.
1: Thank you for having me, Bella. I'm very excited to be on the show.
0: It's so lovely to have you here, and especially because you're one of the Women in Lean, and uh, I just love to have uh, women from the Women in Lean group uh, here. And um, one of the things we love to do in the Women in Lean is hear about our pathways. How did we move from what we started out in to where we are today in practicing lean and continuous improvement? So I would love to hear your story, Martina.
1: Oh, thank you uh, for for, for asking that. Yeah, it was an interesting journey and little uh, did I know when I got started. You know, I, I am an engineer, and, uh, but really never had that much interest in technology and the techie side of things, but I had a very good process mindset and I enjoyed working on processes. And that's what, how I started out. I started out as a process engineer. I worked in quality management. And that journey got me to my first experience with Lean. Uh, we had a, a quick ramp up of a production line way back when, and uh, out of this quick ramp up uh, came many more hands on deck, but also many more defects and mistakes. And so we used the Lean principles to really rescue ourselves out of a deteriorating p at the time, and bring the whole production line back to a good status quo that was promising success commercially and also success for the people doing the work.
0: So, so it was really, it, that's, it's, a, it's very interesting because that is really, that's classic lean light. It's, it's in the plant, right? Um, and you have that opportunity to, to take what people teach about lean, which is usually people start out talking about plants, take it right into a plant. So, so you didn't initially have to do that sort of translation that some of us has had to do, or did you? Did you find there were things that need to be translated? Yeah,
1: later on, see the interesting thing in my career, and you're right, this was typical shop floor lean, right? Building yeah. cell, cell structure, right? Feedback mechanism in process, checkpoints, all of that built in quality, all of these uh, themes. Now happens that um, afterwards, this experience uh, attracted GE to my profile, General Electric, the capital business. So, and soon after I had to translate everything that I learned on the shop floor to a a completely uh, paper, to a service environment. And since that time, my whole experience in lean uh, happened to be in the service industry, in banking, in capital, in um, financing, and in insurance.
0: So, Martina, that that must have been a culture shock for you. But I want I want to I want to just go back just for a moment to what you talked about about doing on that production line. So, you you talked a lot about using lean principles um, to improve the productivity and and decrease the defects. At that time, were you thinking about things like leadership behavior, or was it more about just the movement of product and focus on the product?
1: Yeah, in that particular uh, process, we really focused on the design of the work and the workflow, because that was the issue. And again, I was a fairly junior process engineer. So coaching leaders on lean principles, they came way later. At the time, though, what I will never forget since we want to talk about the tools versus principles, it just so happened that our cell structure at the time was not a circle. So whenever we open a book about lean and we uh-huh. are art about a manufacturing cell, the idea is always it's something circular. Uh, And so we didn't do that. We had a like a train station, like it was a long line, simply because we manufacture cable assemblies that were up to two meters long. And so imagine now standing, having five, six, seven people in a small circle and trying to wheel these cable assemblies around and around, they would trip themselves up in it. So against all the instructions of how a cell should look like, we work with our employees and say, what do you really need to be able to see what's coming down the line in terms of work, be able to pass work on to the next person easily, assess your quality. They said, we don't want to sit in a circle. We want to sit behind each other. So they said, Uh, There was a think about it like a conveyor belt to their left Mm -hmm. side. And then we had like six or seven stations behind each other, and they could always see what's coming down and pass on to the next one. And that was the easiest way for us to create this community, the cell community, the, the shared responsibility for work quality and work output. But we had to realize that just physically, because of the product we had in a different layout than we were taught, or that we
0: would traditionally do. So you really had to go immediately, rather than to the the output, right? So the output is what we often see in in the books, right? And the and the instruct. Which is, let's have a thing that looks like us. Let's have a cell that is circular, right? And you had to immediately go to well, what's the purpose? The purpose of this cell is to do these things, and that means that we have to think about how do we do that best, and it's not about creating that output that looks exactly like you would expect to see in a plant that was manufacturing something completely different, right? Um, And so I think that's brilliant, Martina, because I think some people would go in there And particularly on their first foray into Lean, go in there and say, well, it's supposed to be a circle. Let's figure out how we can make it into a circle. So that was was a really good um, way of stepping out of, it's about this particular output. It's about understanding the purpose of this output as opposed to what the output itself looks like. Yeah, and the key
1: was we asked the team, right? We asked the employees, we communicated the intent as to what we wanted to achieve, and what we wanted to build, and once they understood it, they were able to weigh in and says this is the best way to get that intent translated into actual activity.
0: Wow! So you've d- you've done all this. You've you it's physical, right? You're dealing with the cable assemblies, and now you move over to a paper. Well, I guess it's not just a paper, but a paper and an electronic process. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's paper and electronics. So the good news is, so we can see
1: product and we can also see stacks of paper. But if everything moves into computer, it's a story to see waste. Right. Uh, But I was so true. But I was excited about that. And the truth is, right. um, In actually, we had this debate later, not at GE, at my next job, is where, where we argued, you know, every production company has enormous amount of administrative processes. And uh, they, they have as much waste as the production, uh, we are concentrated on the production facility, uh-huh. but we really dig into PL and see where does cost come from, right? It's equally distributed, uh, cost or unnecessary cost sits in all knucks and coonies of every business, right? In the administrative functions, as much as on the shop floor. And so yep. for me, it was just another way of applying the process thinking. It was more challenging in a, I think in a transactional environment, in a paper environment to help people see the processes, to understand and start seeing the waste. So for instance, when, when information is not available to complete a step, that is waste when when things are lying around paper or decisions are lying around and are not being made, that is waste. So it requires to open up the perspective of what is waste and where it's hiding in a transactional environment.
0: And it is so easy to hide waste in an electronic environment. Right. Yeah. And I it's see hard, to see. hard to see. Yeah, go see. ahead. Yeah, if you. But it's also hard had, to see what people are doing, right, Martina? So, yeah. so if you go into a plant, you can watch people's hands and their feet. When somebody is working on a computer, it is much harder to sort of go go to the gambit and see what is this person actually doing. It's um, that is exactly right. See,
1: in production, we can scroll through the plant, right, and see machines that are idle, we can see the waste piling up, right, if we wait long enough, we stumble over it, so it is very noticeable, and in a transactional environment, all you see is computers, people sitting in front of their desk, and today, with the remote work, you don't even see that, right, so right, right. we literally don't know where to go for GEMBA anymore, right, But what it requires is more communication and more training of the people doing the work. Because in these environments, I found we rely all the more on people saying, you know, I have to enter this information on three screens before I Mm -hmm. get, or I'm searching forever to find this information. And the employees doing the work really have to uh, engage in detecting the waste. Themselves. Themselves, That's, that yes. has, want that to be a, a key difference. Uh, and then also the effort to really map, um, what we started to do is mapping processes, the steps, but then also uh, having extra uh, flow lines in the flow diagrams for what happens in the systems so to make From, that uh, computer, yeah right it's, yeah it's the visuals again it's to peel that out because reality is you you have a computer system right you buy it. Management never really sees it what what is transacted inside. So we had to put effort, extra effort in to then say if the employee does this step, this happens in the in the many computer systems. Or think about this, in in manufacturing, it's very often that we do spaghetti diagrams and see the travel distance.
0: Yeah, see where well, how far did somebody walk today? Yeah,
1: right. So, in, in the uh, transactional environment, it's through how many systems does this piece go? Because what often happens um, or happened is you buy one computer system, one transactional computer system, then you layer on top, right? So, it's like uh-huh. you have this for that and that for this, and da 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 da. You have all these systems. And then in the end, uh, really only the IT department really understands
0: how work flows, right? And how stuff is done. And the challenge with that I have found, and uh, you know, the IT people are great, but they don't necessarily understand the work, right? They might know, they might understand the workflow, but they don't understand the work itself. And the people who are doing the work have to be able to communicate that with IT. Yeah. That, and
1: believe me, uh, when we had continuous improvement projects, then in my in my experience with the transactional, with the finance companies and insurance companies, IT was always at the table. So. Similar how in manufacturing you always have the people who maintain the, the machine park, right? The people who make the tools, right? They always had a seat at the table when we wanted to make improvements. And similar to that, I always looked at the IT people, are really the engineers. And they need to have a seat at the table when we wanted to streamline the workflow. So they were incredibly important. And they often were the ones who explain what happens in the system. The rest of us was just wondering why it took so long or why this or that never worked. But it was in the IT organization came to the rescue and said, here is what we coded based on your input three years uh-huh. ago. And now you want this and it doesn't work because this is how the system works. So, so really IT, in my experience, really took the role or the importance of the design engineers or the manufacturing engineers in a production
0: environment. So Martina, when, when, you, when you think about engaging, say IT, in, in a work like this, what I have found sometimes is that they are very eager to automate, Right. Because because when they see a process, they go, we could automate this, we could automate that. Oh, you know, we could just automate this whole thing. And sometimes you have to kind of pull them back and say, right, well, first we need to understand really what our output is, who the customer is, where it really needs to go before we decide which pieces are appropriate to automate. So I feel like there's always this struggle between um IT saying, you know, we we could automate this and they usually can right and people who are trying to you know really look at look at the the purpose of the process sometimes they even try to decide do you should do we even need this process anymore and there's um um it's always a delight to me when i work with somebody in it who says who understands the importance of you know figuring out what is the purpose of the process what are we really trying to deliver here before they Come in and suggest suggest a, you know an IT tool to plunk on top of it. And as you said, another one to plug to put on top of that one, yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, I I mean I I just sitting here thinking about that. I didn't have this experience, and that may also be the time. Right, everybody needs to save money, and I think there was a point where where the heydays of of automation automate everything. Uh, have been over simply because it's too expensive. And mm. the other thing is also really, we made sure that the I, our IT colleagues are really in it from the get-go on, on the journey of uh, e- experiencing lean. And uh, the teaching is that that automation doesn't necessarily create more flexibility, right? It is very, because that's the issue. I can't tell you how often I heard in in my time as Black Belt, Master Black Belt, later as leader, where the employees who we want to engage in continuous improvement every day, they came, no, no, this is important to fix, but we can't do it because it requires IT. So this thing, we can't do it because it requires IT, that was just the song of the week. And so they, they pitched everything around it uh, but never really got to break through improvements be- because it required changes to the system. And then changes to the system uh, are as important as redoing the machine park. right? It's important. Uh-huh. And so unless there is a strategic priority that warrants uh, making changes to the IT infrastructure, then it didn't happen. And that experience alone... I think taught everyone, the IT community, because they would then say, sorry, we we totally understand what you want to do, but it's not on our priority list. We don't have the time or the budget for doing that work. And so I think the organizations I worked in really realized over time that sometimes less is more, that that's less automation, Automation mm-hmm. is, is um, like is the antithesis of quick change, right? Because once automated, you are stuck with it.
0: Right, right. You've built it. You've built a railroad, and that's now that's the only path you can go yes. down.
1: Yes, and so I think the the realization is that that less automation is more, and and that there should be more leeway for people to create the work around it. At the end of the day the technology enables the work, the technology is not the work. And that is what I often found to be the the wrong perspective, right? When we think as technology is the work, no, no, technology still enables the people to do their work. So uh, the workflow, the the, literally the, the work itself comes first. In my mind, that needs to be understood first and then we need to discuss to what extent current technology enables that or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you're really, you're really talking about something that you talked about back at the beginning of our conversation, which is about, about focusing on the principles, right? That the, the principles are a key and then you're going to have outcomes based on what the work you do to achieve those principles. And that may or may not include the tools that people want to use, you know, just um, you know, whether that's an IT tool or whether it's, you know somebody comes in and says, well, we should always do, for example, 5S, you know? Yes. Yeah, right.
1: that's a whole nother area, right? So I was, like many others, introduced to Lean and what was at the forefront was the tools we could use to lean better and I fell for it, right? And we started already already, uh, as when I was a black belt using the Make and DFSS. So we had these cool tools, right? And uh, when we used them, we looked great. And the tool is also a a very um, tangible thing to complete, right? You complete, use a tool, complete a tool, and there's success, right? You fill out your A3 problem-solving spreadsheet and there is success. And it's very, very easy in in the fun of doing and the activity to lose sight of the principles behind it. And that is what, what then can be a total downturn in any deployment, when there's this overemphasis on tools, without understanding the purpose behind it, because then the deployment becomes very um mechanical.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it it, it it resists, it starts to resist literally any any morphing into the culture that is already there. It will always remain a standalone when we clamor too much on the tools. And are not open to adjust or flex or modify the tools so that it serves the organization and its culture in the best way.
0: You know, one of the one of the things that, that I think about tools, Martina, is that the tools that we see, particularly the ones that we have learned from companies like Toyota, are the output of that company solving problems, right? So they had specific problems and, in the process of solving those problems, they develop the tool. Yes. And it is so, but it's very easy for us to go and look at the tool and say, that's what I need, but that's not what we need. What we need is, is that problem solving ability. And maybe that tool will be part of our of our set of countermeasures, but and maybe it won't. But why do you think it's so hard for for people to and I wouldn't say everybody, because you know, a lot of a lot of people don't think that way. But why do people feel that way? Why why do people want to start with you know, grabbing grabbing tools and just applying them?
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. The tools that that come from Toyota and many others are best practices. Yeah. Right. And often we we take them as gospel and that's the only way to success. But they are they're, they're never meant to represent that. And I think the tools, like I said earlier, are an easy artifact to see and understand. And that's why it's so tempting to leave the deployment with the tools. The principles behind it or the intent, for instance, Toyota creating a problem-solving culture and, and solving everything that gets in the way of producing superior cars. That is a cultural thing. And that requires a lot of thinking, a lot of design uh, upfront uh, to, to affect the changes in the organization. And so I think often the tools are simply a, a quick, they are a tempting shortcut.
0: Mm.
1: Get everybody excited to make something new visible and I also believe though, must, and let's not badmouth these tools, right? Because they have their merit. Because they're, they're, they're helpful, yes. They have, they have their merit. And they and they and you can use tools to teach principles. That's right. That's what I just want to say. The tools yeah. are a means to teach people. So for instance, um, when we have the A3 format, right? It's the problem solving template. Right. It's a way to teach people. But what then happens in my experience, what, what, what I faced is that people got upset. Their problem was too big because they couldn't put the statement or the root cause analysis on this A3 sheet. So they needed a different problem. And so that was completely upside down. But that happens when, when we misunderstand the tool. The tools are there to teach people a new way of thinking, period they have their merit. But when we don't then allow the teaching to take effect, and people start to think how they can apply the tools to their process, to their work environment, then the implementation will fall short of the effect it
0: can have. So what what you're talking about is that the tool, and we'll take A3 as as a great example, teaches a way of thinking right but to learn from that you have to think about your thinking and that you know a lot of people struggle with that people struggle with thinking about their thinking and that isn't up to leadership to make sure that people have the time the opportunity and the the coaching to to do that reflection and to to think about, well, you know, when I was doing this section of the A3, here's what I was thinking, but here's what I learned from it. Um, And I I see that lacking a lot because, because a lot of people get into lean or continuous improvement because they want to be fast. Yeah. And so slowing down to think about something is not, doesn't feel fast. No, nee, yeah, slowing down
1: is not fashionable, right? In in yeah. uh, in corporate America, and uh, and it is it's so easy to count and measure activity. How many problems have you solved? How many ACs do we have in process? How many DFSs, dynamic projects, did we do this year? That's the easy stuff to measure how has the culture changed or how have people picked up on a problem-solving mindset? That's much harder to measure. And it's it's just a reality that wherever we, we wanna start new initiatives or new efforts that are associated with cost, before you know it, the question is there, what's the return on investment? And so- Exactly, yeah. Right, so when these lean initiatives are in my opinion, started solely from a desire to cut cost or save cost or be more efficient or be faster to market. Then, if that is the intent, then the measurement will be focused on action, on actions, right? So the cycle time, uh-huh. things like that, uh, or a number of projects, even which is even even worse. But when when the lean approach is really started from a purpose, from an intent, from a from a desire to, to change the way work is done, then it's lifted up from being an activity based initiative to something that is is designed to change culture. And with that the measurements, I believe will automatically also shift towards, um, Uh, leadership behaviors, right? Uh, larger problems solved, the ability to resolve conflict, the ability to establish clarity in the organization, the ability to have laser focus on what's most important in the organization. These bigger ideas behind lean getting lost when we are too focused on tools.
0: And it's so easy, particularly if you do start with an early success it's so easy to get excited and say well you know if we could save you know 50,000 dollars here wow we could save a lot more money there and um and then start to pursue the dollars as opposed to pursuing the cultural change yeah so when you talk to leaders martina about this do you find that there is a shift in, in overall business culture that people are more willing to listen to this type of approach? Yeah, I can't,
1: um, I can only speak to the organizations I was a part of, right? And so I always experienced a, a shift from the experience of implementing tools towards harnessing the cultural benefits from it. And what then typically happened is that the, the approaches, the, the leadership approaches and the organizational, the operational approaches would merge, right? I to driving operational excellence requires also certain leadership behaviors. So it's like the 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 yin and the yang or no. Yeah of the same point right and so with all these operational improvements no matter how great the tools are and even if the tools were adjusted without the leadership support to drive an environment for continuous improvement for innovation where people are safe to raise issues and concerns uh, any continuous improvement effort will will die on the vine sooner or later so to make these uh, continuous improvement programs that, in my experience, always, and maybe I, I wasn't at the right companies or I didn't lead it the right way. We always started with a crisp focus on tools because it was a tangible, but then uh-huh. we had several experience where we pivoted over to integrate the principles behind leans into leadership expectations so the the whole concept of we we need to learn adjust and adapt we need to have room for people to fail and learn we need to um, foster continuous improvement We need to uh, respect the individuals. We need to collaborate above and beyond departments. We need to drive clarity in our organization as to what is the most important work. Uh, And you name it, all of these things that we build that into the behavioral expectations for leaders and employees alike, so that there was a clear expectations how leaders should show up in this Environment where we wanted to make sure that continuous improvement and innovation is is alive for the long haul.
0: And so it is. A, it is still about leaders showing up, right? Even if it's a if even if it's a remote work environment, almost completely done on somebody's laptop at home, it's it's still about leaders showing up and yeah. and doing that in a way that is focused on the. The cultural, continued cultural change in the in the organization.
1: Yeah, the sustainability of any continuous improvement program is not in the tools; it is in the leadership behaviors and the leadership support.
0: Uh, and we've seen that, right? We've we've seen that where uh, uh, a well known and influential leader leads a company and or an organization, and they, yes. almost immediately revert to the the former way of working. Absolutely. So that's that's the, the best example to see
1: that it's really dependent on, on the CEO, from CEO down, right? through so all ranks of leadership uh, to what extent these these efforts and these principles frankly are alive in the company.
0: What kind of work are you doing now, Martina?
1: Well, I've done now 30 years working a large company uh, organizations doing operational excellence, continuous improvement work, and then mentoring and coaching leaders on how to show up to maintain this environment. I decided to start my own business. I have uh, um, my own business now, and I'm helping CEOs and founders build a more resilient team, so that they can scale and win in the marketplace. And behind a resilient team are a lot of the lean principles, because like lean is for humans lean is meant to uh-huh. help people be more productive at work and they are more productive when they can enjoy what they are doing when they have psychological safety when they feel they can raise issues so a lot of these lean principles help to build a resilient team that can Uh, run day-to-day operations independently, can make decisions, can collaborate with each other, can recover from setbacks. And I think this is what companies, small and big ones alike need in today's world. So I cobbled all my experience together and uh, created a program that's called Power Up Your Team. And I'm helping founders and CEOs build a more resilient team so they can step up and bring the company
0: to the next level of success. That is that is so needed because I have seen so many people, uh, particularly in startups, um, you know, they're focused on the idea, right? They're, fo- they're focused on, yes. on the product. And as soon as they start to grow and they start to bring in more and more of a team, they're throwing in more and more variation, more and more vol- volatility about how that team's going to work. Right. Uh, and, um, so, so taking some time and some investment to invest in leadership, lean skill, leadership skills and building a resilient team, that sounds like a, a really good way to ensure success, right? It yeah. doesn't do you, yeah. It yeah. is.
1: I always say a, a culture is easier created than changed, as we all know,
0: right? Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it's better to invest right at the get-go and build a team with a lean mindset and lead it with a lean mindset. I think that's, that paves a much better path to success.
0: Now you're in in the Boston area, am I right? The Boston area. So there's, yeah, so you have a lot of biotech, a lot of pharma startup, small, small companies around there. Um, And I know a lot of them are uh, led by people who are coming out of some of the great universities in, in the Boston area. I've actually um, spoken with uh, you know some, some of the people who um, teach at those schools. And um, we frequently have talked about the challenge in starting to instill these principles in students as they are doing their engineering or their computer science or their um, you know biotech training, and uh, so I was wondering um, if you have had the opportunity to um, to interact uh, with any of the okay. the universities. yet? not
1: yet. No, not yet with the universities, but that's a great idea.
0: Yeah, there's a, I think you know there's there's a lot of need. Um, yeah. Yeah, particularly when everybody's coming out of school or not even finishing school and jumping into their first startup, right? Yes, yes,
1: that's right. Yes, they are. I just last week I visited a Startup Week Boston. Uh, it's a it's a week with over 80 presentations, albeit towards founders and startup businesses, and covering everything they need. And so the the issues they, they discussed uh, the, very much what what I'm helping them with, you know, as a founder, building the team, finding the right team members. and it's so difficult at the onset, right, to find the right mix of people that work well together, right and and create the next uh, level of success for for the startup. So yeah, so I was sitting there and said, yeah, this is cool. They really they can use my services. and so I've I think I have a good program there.
0: That's great. That's great. So Martina, while we're we're talking about young people, what's your piece of advice for young people starting out? I think
1: uh, step into the workplace and try it out and have a very strong compass on what brings you joy. If you're starting down a career that doesn't uh, have a job, that doesn't bring you joy, it's a very tough feat to stick with it for the next 30 years. So the yeah. sooner people can figure out what motivates them, what inspires them, what type of work brings them joy,
0: the better they are off. I, I love that advice. That's that's great. That's great. And, and, and I think that's true for anyone wherever, wherever they are, whether they're starting out for the first time or, or looking for the, the next step in their career. Martina Kuhlmeier, how do people find you if they want to talk more to you or, or work with you?
1: Yeah, I, my website is powerupyourteam.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, just Martina Kuhlmeier. I think there's only one with that name out there. And uh, yeah, we can go from there. And my, you can also reach me directly. Email is martina at powerupyourteam.com.
0: Thank you so much. So Martina Kuhlmeier, thank you so much for traveling with me to the Edges of Lean. Thank you, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Bella. This is Bella Engelbach and I'd like to thank Martina Kumar for being my guest on the Edges of Lean. What was your aha moment about Lean tools? We would love to hear from you. Find Martina at HTTPS, colon backslash backslash powerupyourteam.com or on LinkedIn. Martina's podcast is the Power Up Your Team podcast. You can find it on her website or wherever you get your podcasts. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. Subscribe and tell a friend about the edges of lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn and check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelberg with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.